This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Steve Thomas. My guest today is Shante Burns Simpson. She's the manager of school support and outreach at the New York Public Library and the 2020 to 2022 president of the Black Caucus of the American Library Association. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from listeners just like you. Find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com slash support. Shante, welcome to Circulating Ideas. Thank you for having me. Um, so uh, we're mostly going to talk a little bit about, or a lot about, <laughs> um, the ALA Black Caucus, and it's the 50th anniversary of that, so we're going to get into that. But the first thing I wanted to ask you was, um, it, you work for the New York Public Library. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you became a librarian in the first place, and like what led you to the field, and then kind of a little bit of what you're doing now in your regular position? Oh, sure. So I actually started working at the library uh, as a page. So it was supposed to be a summer job and I never left. So <laughs> I was a page for, I don't even know how many years, like uh, I was a page for my senior year in high school. Um, and then when I was in college, I was an office aide, which is another, um, that's the official term for clerk. Mm-hmm. And I was um, working in the periodical section. So I was like getting magazines, newspapers. And then um, I graduated from LIU, um, my undergrad, and I became um, an information assistant. And then um, 9-11 happened. I was actually a dance major at LIU. Mm-hmm. And the library had a trainee position. They said, we will pay for you to go to library school and I was like oh free uh, master's degree heck yeah I will do that <laughs> and I mean I was that's all I knew was uh working at the library and right. um so I went to Queens College shout out to Queens College and um I got my master's of library information science so it was basically a summer job that turned into a career for me um I took a lot of adult um, management classes because I knew I was going to be an adult librarian. I just felt it in my bones. I was going to, I was doing a lot of adult book discussions. But um, when I graduated uh, at New York Public Library, at that time, you had to take uh, what they call a seminar. And when I graduated, the seminars that they had available was young adult. So I took that because you had to have a seminar under your belt to become a senior librarian. And as soon as I finished that seminar, I went and I took the adult seminar. But when it was time for me to be placed to be a librarian, they sent me to uh, my local library, which was Port Richmond Library, as the YA librarian. And I was like, no, no, I'm, a, I'm an adult librarian. They was like, you took the seminar? And I was like, yeah. They was like, uh, you're going to be the YA librarian. And you know what? That was the best thing ever. Sometimes people can see things in you that you don't even see for yourselves. Because when I worked at Port Richmond, I fell in love with all the kids there, the teens, the kids. And I was like, this is exactly what I need to be doing. And so from there, I uh, worked on uh, IMLS projects for not just New York Public Library, but for all three uh, New York City public library systems. And 
Um, I'm currently the manager of school support and outreach for New York Public Library, and I oversee a program called My Library NYC, which is another TriLi initiative. So TriLi just means that it's a program that all uh, three of the New York City public library systems participate in, and we partner directly with the Department of Education, the Office of Library Services. Um, we did the largest library card distribution in the country, um, and we pretty much we curate teacher sets that get delivered directly to the schools. Um, the schools have to have a school librarian or some a teacher assigned to the library. So again, it is that full partnership with the schools and the and the libraries within them. But yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> and then um, somewhere along the way, you became president of the Black Caucus. <laughs> yes, I just literally was today's date because days mean nothing. It's July 10th, so I have been the president for 10 days. Yeah, so I will be the, the president of uh, the Black Caucus of American Library Association for the next two years. I'm so humbled and honored to be in this role um, because there has been a lot of amazing, you know, trailblazers before me. So I just stand on their shoulders to, to be in this, in this position. Um, it's been 50 years. I mean, EJ Josie, you know, working along several colleagues, they started this, this caucus just because they, they, they felt ALA was not serving the needs of their black library professionals. And so they started the caucus and they had two goals. Um, one was to present a formal statement of concern to ALA and to submit a resolution to the ALA council that would um, censor libraries and librarians who were, who were providing uh, materials and services to private uh, segregated schools that were formed in order to to avoid integration so that was that was 50 years ago and now we're looking at another type of um, race relations happening now but there's still some there's still a lot of a fight that we have to do I mean we've come a long way I mean I want to say just recently, like the last 10 years, a lot of people were saying, do we still need, you know, the ethnic caucuses? And of course we do. And we are actually very strong together. I don't know if you heard of JCLC, which is like just all of the ethnic caucuses working together to just really establish change. That's great. Um, and, and so when it first started, it wasn't like an official ALA group, right? And then later it became one, is that right? Yeah, so in 1992, the Black Caucus became formally affiliated with ALA. And that's also the same year that we, um, we started the E.J. Josie Scholarship as well in 1992. That's great. Yeah, I mean, he, he was definitely a great leader for libraries, um, not, not just um, for African-American librarians, but just the whole field, he was such a great, um, leader that kind of pushed the whole field forward. So that's great. Oh, for sure. And that's one of the things that I want to do as president. We're going to have um, this program. It's going to be um, quarterly called Our History because I think a lot of uh, people, librarians just overall do not know um, the rich history of many librarians, especially African-American librarians, because I don't know 
um, it's covered that well in library schools. And again, you can't move forward if you don't know where you came from. So we want to, you know, really highlight the trailblazers that that have come along and really, really got the profession into where it is today. Yeah, we can talk a little less about Mr. Dewey and a little more about <laughs> some other people. <laughs> Um, so you talked about that, um, that scholarship. Uh, what, what other kind of professional opportunities does the Black Caucus offer to African-American librarians? Um, so we have, of course, our National Conference of African-American Librarians. We have that every other year. Um, we host, you know, many workshops, especially at midwinter and annual every year. Um, because of COVID this year, um, annual did not happen, but we did host a two-day uh, virtual summit. Um, we, we wanted to make sure that we brought our members together, but the virtual summit was actually open to everyone, but we, we wanted to focus and make sure that our members had the opportunity to present and connect with one another. So um, the, the summit was back in May. Yes, it was back in May. Um, and it was called Connect, Cultivate, and Collaborate. And again, we highlighted our members in the virtual workshops, um, as well as promote some like amazing authors and their work. Um, along with that, yes, we do have a lot of um, scholarship opportunities. So again, we have the E.J. Josie Scholarship, where um, students get to get $2,000 awarded to them. Um, we also have our uh, support staff um, scholarship from Baker and Taylor, and that's $1,000. They get that, uh, as well as uh, a commemorative plaque um, from BCLA. Along with that, we have um, other awards just to highlight our members. So we have the Demco ALA Black Caucus Award for Excellence in Librarianship. Um, and that is just really just promoting our members who are doing some amazing work and doing, having significant contributions to promoting the status of African Americans in the library profession. Um, and then we also have the BCALA Trailblazers Award. Um, and that again is every five years. And we recognize the individual who is pione uh, pioneering uh, contributions have been outstanding and unique and whose efforts have blazed the trail in the in the profession so we do want to promote and support all of our members and really be able to to highlight the amazing work that they're doing within the profession yeah. and you talked a little bit about that the national conference which um, has also been canceled for this year because of covid um, but Oh, Sorry, it's been postponed so because of COVID yes. officially. Yes. <laughs> um, so we're actually going to have it next year. So okay. it'll be um, still in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, July 28th to August 1st. You are totally invited. Uh, yeah, we, we put in so much work for this conference in celebrating our 50th anniversary. We are still supporting our affiliates to continue to celebrate the 50th anniversary throughout the year. We've given affiliates um, 
money to do uh, programs to celebrate uh, throughout the end of the year. So a lot of that stuff will be virtual. Um, a lot of, yeah, everything's virtual. <laughs> and, <laughs> but again, the theme is the same. It's called the Culture Keepers 11, the Sankofa Experience, inspired, our, inspired by our past and igniting our future. So we are still looking forward to bringing everyone to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, we've heard a lot about Tulsa, Oklahoma because uh, someone had a rally in Tulsa, but um, yes. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are looking forward to uh, just really highlighting the richness of, of Tulsa and Black Wall Street and we have bus tours and everything. We just, we really, when we, um, bring the conference to a city, we like to have all of the attendees get the experience um, of that local flavor and history of the whole city with uh, special events and tours highlighting the city's Black history and culture. So we really are looking so forward to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, they have been amazing to work with from the, the public library there to just the hotel, just the whole town is just so looking forward to us having our conference there. And, and we can't wait to just bring everyone there next year. Great. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it got postponed instead of canceled. Yes. <laughs> yes me too. Um, because it, it, it's, it's usually every two years. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those annual ones had to just cancel, I guess, and <laughs> they couldn't push forward. Yeah. I mean, so, and I mean, they worked really, really well with us. We didn't thankfully lose any money. We just moved it to the following year. So That's now um, we'll have NCAL in 2021. Then everybody will have um, JCLC in 2022. That's the our joint conference. And then mm -hmm. we'll come back for NCAL. We have to pick the next city for 2023. So we'll continue to go. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Always conference opportunities. I, 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 I went to, yeah, I, yeah, I went to PLA this year and it was like right before. PLA. The, <laughs> that yeah. was my first PLA too. Oh yeah. And I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I actually, I, I grew up, I grew up a lot near Nashville too. So I, I got, it felt like going home for that part of it. Oh, nice. But it's kind of funny that, that you know, like two weeks later, the whole country shuts down <laughs> because of COVID. And we have these like what, five, 6,000 librarians all smushed together. It's amazing. We weren't like a, I know, Outbreak. I know, that is absolutely right, that is crazy. I mean, but we didn't know, you yeah. don't know what you don't know. Yeah. yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago too, and it was just it, a couple It does, <laughs> I keep thinking sometimes, like that was only like four months ago, <laughs> but. Yeah, that's crazy. Whew. Yeah. Okay, uh, I mean, you, you talked about the scholarships that um, the Black Caucus gives out. Can you talk about some of the book awards that the caucus gives out? Oh, sure. So we have our literary awards. Um, we usually announce the winners at our midwinter meeting. Um, the awards recognize excellence in adult fiction and nonfiction by African-American authors published the year prior. Um, so we include awards for best poetry, um, outstanding contribution to publishing, uh, the recipients this year, we were looking forward to giving their awards at um, NCAL, so that will have to wait till next year. 
but the recipients of these awards offer outstanding depictions of the cultural, historical, or socio-political aspects of the Black diaspora and embody the highest quality of writing style and research methodology. So we are really, we, we are so proud of the literary awards. I mean, we've had um, Gladys Smiley Bell has spearheaded that award and I just, kudos to the committee for, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot, a lot of reading to recognize um, these great African-American authors. So it's important work and hats off to everyone that's part of that committee every year that does it because it's a lot of work. Yeah, that's great. Um, so we're going to shift a little bit, not completely away from the Black Caucus, but to kind of the larger conversation going on. Um, like, so in the wake of deaths like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, which is right near um, where I am, um, among others, obviously, these are the most public ones, um, but it is causing the nation to have some long overdue conversations on race. And we're hoping obviously that's gonna continue and be productive. Uh, how do you think that the library field can contribute to facilitating these conversations? Um, I mean, the library has always been a place where we want to, to have these um, courageous conversations. I know a lot of librarians have taken trainings to actually host uh, programs like this. But again, we have to point out the fact that books provide a good context for starting these conversations. So just like you could go to your librarian for uh, book recommendations focused on a variety of topics, you can totally go to your librarian to get um, book recommendations um, around race and equity and all of those different types of topics. I mean, I do want to highlight the educator um, Emily Style, who introduced the concept of, you know, the windows and mirrors, where she explained books can be a mirror that reflect the reader's own life, but um, the character, you know, the characters look like them, they can relate to the story, they ultimately see themselves in that story. Then we have um, windows where the books provide a view into reality, and this helps you talk about what's going on. And then we have the sliding doors concept that was introduced by um, author and educator Rudine Sims Bishop, where she introduced the concept to explain how books allow readers to experience other people's cultures and a variety of mirrors into individuals' experiences. But I, I do want to point out that books are more than just that. We, it's stepping stones, it's, you know, an anchor, a cozy blanket, um, because it's uncomfortable to talk about race. It's, it's for anyone, majority of people, it's very uncomfortable to talk about race, but we can't stay silent. These are conversations that we have to have. And books are ultimately the gateway to make that happen. So again, it's being able to, to have, um, a tool to be able to have these courageous conversations and be able to see things from different perspectives. So I totally feel like libraries are equipped, librarians are equipped, and we are willing to do the work to, to make a change. 
Yeah, and I've, I've seen a lot of um, anti-racist uh, reading lists out there just kind of pushed out. And um, the Black Caucus actually teamed up with the Graphic Novel and Comics Roundtable um, to put out a list of um, um, anti-racist comics. Um, do you know if there was, I, that was probably put together maybe before you took over as president, but do you know why that, um, why, why that team up particularly happened and what the focus on comics was? That actually happened in June. We literally oh, wow. did that list in collaboration. And it wasn't just with um, the graphic novels, uh, Comics Roundtable. We also partnered with the Association for Library Service to Children as well. So we did two lists in a month. Um, and so, and I worked closely uh, with Richard Ashby, who was the, the media past president, to get these um, reading lists created. We wanted to draw attention to the Black experiences of the past and present and, demand, and help demand a new future. So it was our hope with these lists that we continue to grow and serve um, have these lists serve as an important resource going forward for educators, parents, and readers of all ages, because we know that there was a lot of lists coming out, and teachers wanted to be able to, to have books to recommend to their students. Parents wanted to be able to explain uh, the protests that they seen going on in, on the TV and around the country. So now, with the um, with the ALA Graphic Novels Comics Roundtable, it was around um, the Black Lives Matters movement. Um, and with the Association for Library Services to Children, that was actually a social justice book list specifically for kids. So we called it the um, Community Connecting, Cultivating, and Constructing Conversations Through Literacy. Um, the librarians work together to create a resource-rich book list that explores race, social justice, police brutality, identity, and pride of the African-American community. So we, do, we, we wanted children to be able to, you know, read these books, learn, but we also wanted to have um, African-American kids be able to just read books and, and feel prideful of themselves. So... We, we wanted to be able to have a list that, again, families could read together. Um, we trust that the book list will um, encourage much needed conversations, again, that reflect the times that we're currently living in. Uh, furthermore, we hope that uh, the book list will help empower um, po and positively impact the reader's self-esteem along with spreading knowledge, because again, um, we know that a lot of books that, that have been pushed within the school system have not been diverse, have not been, you know, that well um, articulated for our black and brown kids. So this is something that we want to, to continue to create to help support um, uh, collection development for schools, for public libraries, and just for um, parents at home, knowing what, what titles they want to buy uh, for their kids at this time. Um, in response to all of this, you know, all these organizations, basically every organization <laughs> has put out a statement of support. And um, 
it, it's nice, but sometimes I'm kind of like, I don't know what to think about Cheerios giving an anti-racist. I mean, it's okay, but I, what do I do with that? <laughs> um, but libraries are a little more, when, when they make a statement, they can actually do things about it. Um, so do you think that, that, that it is important for organizations, especially like libraries, we won't talk about corporate <laughs> statements right. and things, um, but like libraries, do you think it's important for them to make public statements and support um, of it, movements like Black Lives Matter or just the um, race conversation in general and the inequities um, that are going on? I mean, I do feel like it's very important for libraries to put out statements, but like you said, um, public statements are nice, but they have to be true. They have to match the work. So uh, pretty much talk is cheap if statements are just words on a paper, but libraries have to do the work and the work is not easy. So from programming to faculty, all that needs to be addressed. I mean, we have schools in minority, commu minority communities that do not have a certified school librarian. They don't even have an open library for their students. And how are we preparing our 21st century learners without, you know, a, a working established library? Of course, we know that we, they have classroom libraries and um, you need a, we know that we need a library with diverse books. We need a, a library with computers to, to teach our students how to combat, you know, fake news. But libraries need to take a look at their programs and see that they aren't just catering to um, certain community needs and not addressing all of them. So again, we, we do want libraries to put out statements, foster these conversations, but we also want libraries to, to do the work. We, we need for libraries to make sure that they're, um, that they're supporting staff, that the leadership is as diverse as the frontline staff. Um, I don't know, are you aware of what is happening at the free um, public library? Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is what's going to come out if you just put out a statement, but you're not doing the internal work that to match that statement. So yes, statements are good, but you have to match what you're saying. You can't just say, yes, we support Black Lives Matter and then not, not do your due diligence in, internally as well as, um, you know, supporting the communities outside. So we are working very closely with our Pennsylvania Black Librarians Caucus. They are an affiliate. Um, they just recently put out a statement addressing the issues happening uh, with the Philadelphia's Free Public Library. So, yeah, no, we, we want libraries to be able to put out a statement, but we also want them to stand behind their statements. Yeah, the statement is more like this is the start of the conversation <laughs> and it exactly. has to continue. It's like just saying hi. and then Exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay, now we know what we're talking about, but let's talk about <laughs> it now. <laughs> Um, and then libraries in general, and this is part of, I think, why um, E.J. Josie and all them back then formed by caucus um, have been complicit a lot of times in enacting policies that are harmful um, to not only um, African-Americans, but uh, all people of color. You know, way back in the Jim Crow days, they libraries went along with a lot of that stuff. Um, and I, I, that, that kind of blatant racism certainly doesn't seem to be... Um, 
tolerated at least in public society. And obviously we're seeing little <laughs> um, spurts of that, that it's still around, but people are still in general, that's not right. But right. Um, what, what, what issues do you see that are still around now that libraries um, can be addressing to make um, things more equitable? Um, so we still see first off that uh, black staff are routinely uh, experiencing racial discrimination, harassment, uh, microaggressions, and other forms of workplace biases. Um, next, much of the frontline staff, again, are Black, and they're not in the leadership positions. So we, we see that the libraries still need to confront, you know, structural racism both inside their organization, as well as in all of their public service efforts. So the whole uh, work to, to root out institutional racism must occur before we can realize the organizational changes because the status quo isn't working anymore. So it's not okay to just have, just be able to say you have hired X amount of, um, black and brown people to work within your library what positions are they holding are they holding you know just the the janitorial positions are they just you know uh clerks do you not have any kind of scholarship opportunities for them to support them to go to library school or become librarians and move up or is there even another um you know professional pathway for um, clerical staff to move up to some kind of management position without having to go to library school. So these is just the overarching of how libraries um, are built and how they're uh, able to promote and see a clear way of moving up within institutions. I mean, I know that we are called the Black Caucus of the American Library Association, but again, our members are not just librarians. Our members are also support staff. And that's why we do have that scholarship opportunity to support um, staff to come to conferences because a lot of times they don't have that, you know, availability to do right. that. And in some libraries, the support staff are actually doing programming and doing some of the work that, that was originally assigned to librarians. So again, how are we having these conversations? How are we supporting that? And how do we help them move up at this time. So again, it's still the same um, biases that unless you have this degree that, okay, I do have, I'm thankful for, and it is an important degree, but that is not something that everyone is able to do. And how do they, how do we support them within the library and how do we put, make them feel um, just as important to be part of the library's, you know, staff overall because it takes everyone within the building to to make the library run successfully yeah, uh, and you can, yeah I, the response to that a lot of times is oh well it's a pipeline problem but it's like that's a, a part of it but it's kind of like once you get through the pipeline you got to have an a organization that supports that so it's like if you get them there and then they don't have the opportunities and then they're not going to stay <laughs> and you're not right. going to get so i mean it's not just getting people into library school and getting them to that, you know, you have to make your institutions welcome. 
And you're absolutely correct because you'll have a lot of institutions when it gets to a certain um, level, they don't even look internally. They start looking for people across the country to come and hold these really high positions. And it's like, um, what about your managers and, you know, your associate directors or your directors within when it comes to having them be part of the board of trustees or the chief of, of staff? What, what happened to the people within? So you'll have um, people of color at certain management levels, but then when it goes to a higher level, then they need to do a nationwide search. So again, and, and, and a lot of times you end up having to train those people that are coming in because they don't know the ins and outs within that organization that you have been working very closely with for years. So the library field is still majority, very much majority white, very much majority female. Um, and I know they've made efforts. ALA has, has had all these initiatives and things like that. But then every time the stats come out, it's still 90% white, 90% white, 90% white. And it's like, those things are not working. So <laughs> I just wonder, do you, what, what do you see that are barriers to people of color that maybe the hasn't haven't been broken down yet like what what needs to be addressed and we talked about that a little bit in the last question but I mean we have to look back to again you have students in minority neighborhoods that don't have a school librarian so right from there librarianship is not a career they're thinking about early on so they'll think oh I want to be a teacher police officer librarian is not one of those positions because they don't even have it in their building then you have people who go to the public library, they assume everybody that's in the building is a librarian. Um, then you have the degree itself. So if you don't work in the library, you don't even realize that you need to have a master's degree to be a librarian. Um, if you do work at the library and you realize that a lot of the promotional opportunities are for uh, librarians, then you have to struggle with the cost of going back to, back to school to get your master's degree, the time. And then you also want to think about, if I'm going to put in my money and my time uh, to be part of a career, um, you want to be part of a career that you feel like will appreciate you and not mentally beat you up or make you leave feeling frustrated that if you're working in a library, sometimes you come home feeling like. So that's why it's so important to, for um, young librarians to be able to find their community within uh, the profession, because if you don't, you feel like an island out there floating around by yourself. So it is very important to be able to, to be part of an organization, be able to be part of a community so that you can have these discussions and, and know that you were the first person that's been through it, the only person that's been through it. But again, it's really about making sure that we have um, certified school librarians in schools so that this is a, um, a profession that students are like, oh, this is cool. Because by the time they meet a, a librarian, maybe in high school or they become close with their teen librarian in the public library, then they're kind of like, is it even cool to be a library? Like, like they, they, you're trying to, to sell them. I know me and my team, we do a lot of career days. Um, I do tell them, don't put me behind, like, you know, the, the, what is it? Like the fireman or something that they go outside and they're on the truck and everything. Don't put me behind them. But ultimately, I let them know, yeah, 
um, it's not just about uh, shushing people and reading all day, but I let them know if you are into technology, then this might be a career for you because a lot of them, they want the, you know, the latest gadgets or whatever. And I says, librarians fill the digital divide. So it's more about us going out, doing these career days um, and just really letting um, our kids, especially our kids of color, know about this job because a lot of them do, do, aren't even realizing that this is a career. Right. And, and I think it's helpful to see um, people like you going into there because they, they can see, oh, there are African-American yeah. librarians. Look at that. And she's in a pretty high position there. That's, a, that's an important position she's in. I actually had a parent come up to me and, and say, we didn't have librarians like you. And I, was like, oh. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But it, it was funny. We both laughed. I, I got what um, what they were saying, but I kind of felt like um, some kind of like new Barbie doll or something like that. Like, they, you, are you the new type of librarian that are coming out? It, it was all good, though. <laughs> well, I, I think that leads pretty well into um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, which is um, kind of role models for not just you, but for the whole field for African-American librarians. Because, I mean, we have, we talked about E.J. Josie earlier. There's, you know, right. Librarian of Congress, Carla Hayden, um, right. Sky Patrick over at L.A. County Library. There's lots of leaders in the library world who are um, African-American and other people of color. Um, so who are some of those people that inspire you that you think are good models for people to be looking at, like we talked about previously? No, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, we we are blown away. We have Tracy, you know, Hall, who who is at um, ALA right now. I mean, we have a lot of African-Americans leadership positions. I do want to give um, a highlight to uh, Clara Stanton Jones, who is the first Black president of the American Library Association. Um, and then um, Charles uh, May, Hill Rollins, and she was an advocate for diverse children's literature. So the whole before we need diverse books movement, Rollins uh, had the first publication, uh, We Build Together, and that is uh, a reader's guide to Negro life and literature for elementary and high school use and it provided a criteria for selecting children's literature with more honest portrayals of black people in their lives so she uh, was is a prominent leader in children's literature but i do not want to overlook the amazing people that i work with at the black within bcala so the immediate past president richard ashby um, Stanton Biddle, Andrew Jackson, my uh, vice president now, Michelle Hayes. I'm surrounded by just amazing African-American librarians. I'm the president, but I learn from them every day, every day, because these people are at the top of their game. I mean, the list, the listserv we have, the information that's being shared. I mean, the, the librarians from across the country it's just amazing the work that's being done. And we just, we want to continue to try to promote this and, and again, just shine a light and continue to focus on doing uh, virtual webinars for our, highlighting our members, but really being open to everyone so that they can see the amazing work that African-American librarians are doing and will continue to do moving forward. 
I think it's also great to see um, at the ALA presidency level that then the current president, Julius Jefferson, is black. The previous president was black. The pre president before that was Puerto Rican. So we're seeing lots of people of color <laughs> rise in leadership roles. And Tracy Hall, like you said, too, is at a high level, the, the highest level staff position at ALA. I mean, it's, it's, it's really good, but we can't, you know, just get sidetracked by that because I think yeah. we're like, okay, we, we have all these high positions, but we still have to, again, make sure that um, our staff in the, the libraries across the country are being supported and being able to do good work because, again, these are the people who are supporting the communities across the country, and we have to be able to make sure that they're able to do their work at the top level that they can and they need to be supported by their institutions right we, we don't want to do the thing of that a lot of people keep saying of oh obama was president check that exactly. off We're, racism is done we, we do we, we did it everybody <laughs> exactly totally um, so yeah we don't want to do that within our own field as well, so. no no not at all um, well, Shantae, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk to me today and to inform the listeners about the Black Caucus and for um, having part of that conversation that we need to have um, here <laughs> with me and with uh, listeners listening in. Um, if people wanted to follow up, um, how can they get in touch with you um, to follow up on anything we talked about today? Oh, okay. So my official email is president uh, at bcala.org. Um, you can also email me at Shantae Burns, S-H-A-U-N-T-E-E-B-U-R-N-S at NYPL.org. Um, and then you can just probably find me on social media somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you again for talking to me. And I think this is a great, um, again, start to a conversation that should continue. And, I, and I'm glad the Black Caucus and you are there to help facilitate that and keep Going. Yes, Steve, don't be a stranger. We need to make sure that you're part of one of our town halls or something. So you, we, we have a good time at our meeting. So <laughs> totally welcome. So yeah, and, and, and I think we encourage everybody to come do that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Shantae. Okay. Bye. Circulating Ideas is produced in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place of work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice, and help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at CircIdeas or like the show's Facebook page. Theme music is by Pamela Klicka, and the logo is by Shandy Fry. Thanks for listening and keep circulating your ideas.